Hello and welcome to the Apprentice Track podcast. Thanks for joining us. We are three months into our third year and we thought we'd share some of the stuff that we've been journeying through together so far. This is a conversation that one of our team, Anna Clark, had with Brian Roundson from Garden Church in California, all about what it means to live an unhurried life, one that's slowed down and why that really matters as followers of Jesus. I found it massively helpful and I hope you do too. Let's get into it. Great. Well, hello, Brian. It is so lovely to get to have this conversation with you. Thanks for um, joining with me and giving us your time. Anna, thank you very much. It's so nice to meet you. It really is. It's been lovely just chatting through these few minutes. Because we've not actually met in person, have we? But um, Duncan isn't very well. So he's very kindly asked me to take on this conversation, which feels like a bit of a treat for me. Um, it'd be great just to introduce yourself, just tell us who you are and what you've been up to recently. Yeah, my name is Brian Roundson. Uh, I am a pastor. Um, I work as a pastor at Garden Church in Long Beach, California. Uh, probably more importantly than any of that, I am a husband, my wife, Jenny, who's pregnant with our third baby. This is Abby. This is Jude. How <laughs> do you actually see it? Those are like cute little animated drawings our friend made years ago. Um, I have a, a boy and a girl. Um, they are such joy. They are a constant reminder to me of what it means to slow down yeah. and actually pay attention. Um, so I'm grateful for that. I love this conversation. I'm a big fan of Duncan. We got to spend a lot of time um, in 2019. We we're out there for a uh, sabbatical. And I am passionate about um, formation. And uh, I've been radically transformed by writers from the Christian tradition and those who are constantly reminding us to slow down enough to notice life and to be attentive to where the spirit is present and uh, it's been really transformative for me. So by no means am I an expert, but I'm happy to share my many failings in this conversation and the few things I've learned along the way. That's so cool. We This whole year, kind of the year that um, we're on, on the Apprentice Track is kind of looking at exactly what you just said about formation and what it means to be formed more yeah. and more into the likeness of Christ. Um, yeah. And as you said, we this kind of conversation is going to be around the topic of slowing down yeah. and being unhurried, living a life that is unhurried, um, yeah. which feels pretty countercultural right now. Yeah. Well, what kind of is your understanding of living an unhurried life? How would you describe living an unhurried life? Yeah. Um... I think hurry is an attitude. It's a byproduct. It's an addiction. It's uh, it's not as I think Willard talked about it, not being necessarily the same thing as speed, but it's more about um, doing too much, being split amongst too many things. Yeah. Uh, you might say having too many idols, if you would. I think there's something about that. Um, so I, in that respect, I think I mean there's a broader and please. Tell me to stop at any point in time because I will nerd out and go down a caveat and a trail that might be unhelpful. Um, I really think 
we've seen and smarter people than, than I have noticed this and written about this, but um, it's really a byproduct of a culture that has, you know, thrown God out as the center of life when there's no longer a transcendent reality, when there's nothing to firmly put our feet on as truth, as reality, then what we do is we retreat into ourselves and we become the masters of our own world. And what happens is we've been left to the forces of a philosophical world and a culture and an economy that says the only thing that keeps us going is to produce more, to consume more, to own more, to have more. And our economy functions that way. And as soon as we stop making and producing and producing and producing, our economy goes flat. So therefore our inner world becomes shaped by that cultural, right? We live, we, we live by the metaphors that we are soaked in. And that's one of the metaphors is, is you are a person who is consumer first. So we don't know about slowing down because we genuinely think like a stone skipping across the water. If we, we actually stop, we might sink. And what we're going to sink into is a very unhappy life, um, a very unnoticing uh, life. And we're scared of it and it makes us fearful. So if we can just prop ourselves up with enough pace and enough activity, then what will happen is we can get by with doing without as little damage to ourselves as possible. Um, and I think in the end, what, what produces is a withered internal self. It's, we lack what um, Thomas Kelly calls the, the mental habits of inner inward orientation. Um, he says, that's our secret out. And I think um, an unhurried life to answer you in a roundabout way is one that learns to notice above all things. And so that the space and time becomes more full. Um, I remember this, there's a beautiful story. I want to say it's Chesterton and you can correct me talking about when, um, the train first came to England when the train, the first, um, deep, like I think it crossed the Midlands and it was the first time he would get from to London from, you know, the North pretty quickly. And he talked about the, the radical transformation that did to the inner life because prior to that time, um, someone's going to correct me because it's probably wasn't Chesterton, but it sounds like Chesterton. So I'll say <laughs> prior to that time, um, your, your world may have only been a square mile but you knew every inch of that square mile and it was yours. And so it belonged to you. You noticed, you knew the trees and the, the bushes you had, you know, you had years of wearing down the path on the same thing. So while we've extended our capacity to, to see more and to be a part of more, it's just, it's a, this technological innovation has actually shrunk our world and that we know less of what we see. Now we just pass by it. And I think that's a good metaphor because we just pass by our lives, never really sinking down into how we're doing until we have a nervous breakdown in our 40s or 30s, until we get to the end of the week and we're so exhausted, all we can do is turn on Netflix for 12 hours and pass out. Uh, and really, we've not been given a vision of what if we pass through the withdrawal pains of addiction and actually showed up on the other edge where our world was bigger, but less busy, where it was less things were a part of it, but the things that we choose are actually resonant with us. They're actually life-giving. They may not be, you know, five hours of Netflix, but it might be hours of watching my kids jump on the trampoline or taking a walk with them. Um, and it may not be stimulating 
in the adrenalized way that we get from movies or whatever we're doing, but it actually is robust and full and produces something whole. Choosing a healthy diet versus a sugary one. Like sure, it feels great because we're, we're literally designed to like get that peak when we have sugar, but we feel like crap later on, you know? What would a resonant life look like? Yeah. Yep. Hello. You know, this is my boy Jude. Jude, do you want to say hey, hi? Jude. Hey Jude, how are you? <laughs> hi. You look just like your dad. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that what we're getting to is we're identifying that actually there's a spiritual problem that's yeah. going on. And it, it's manifesting itself as hurry. And yeah. I loved what you said about it's an addiction to hurry. Yeah. I, I can so identify with that addiction to hurry. I can so feel myself panic when I've got any time of rest because there's something in me that is so addicted to hurry that when I hit pause, when I kind of go on a retreat or something like that, I can feel myself physically, the panic begins to rise because I think, well, I'm going to, what will I do? Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what about all the things that I'm going to be missing? What about all the people that are going to need me? Um, I know I was going on a retreat recently and I literally in the days running up to it I could feel myself starting to think I can't do this Hmm. all the people that I'm going to be letting down all the jobs that I won't get done you know all the things that I won't be able to produce so I can really when you said that I thought oh that is so accurate that speaks so accurately to how we feel these days we are addicted to hurry but it feels as though there's a spiritual thing going on under the surface there um can you just speak a little bit into that what do you think it is that's going on in us why are we so addicted to hurry yeah well i mean i there's a lot of reasons i think um i think partly it's we don't know anything else it's the culture that we swim in so when you when you lack part of the problem is we don't have models for human beings are naturally you know modeling things we learn from the first thing we do is mirror from our parents you know, the love that they see in their eyes and we bond that way. And, and when we don't have a model for our life, you know, the models culturally right now are a minimalism, which is brilliant. You know, we have a few like John Mark is doing an amazing job. We've had these great writers over the millennium, um, but we don't have a popular vision uh, for what a life of um, obscurity and slowness is in abundance. We always see the fruit of a life of unhurry and we think I want that. And so I'm going to put all my effort into that as opposed to no, this is a 50 year process of becoming someone who naturally isn't self-focused. And that's the difference is, is, is part of the slowing down is, is it's not about being self-focused. It's about being self-noticing where I'm aware of myself enough to where I can steer what little obedience I have towards the things that God is asking me to do. And it might be a tiny bit. I might have this much obedience today, but maybe tomorrow it'll be this much. And it's the slow incremental growth. And we don't like that. Um, Partly because we live in a world that says um, you don't need to change who you are is enough. And yes, as a value perspective, yes, but we are confronted with a story of the gospel that the human heart is broken but the human heart longs for the wrong things. We've tried to do life long enough, having eaten from the 
have an aunt, as you would say, um, or is that a Northern Irish thing? I don't know. I just get stuck in that. <laughs> I feel like that's a UK thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, having, having taken that on ourselves, we think we know how to make sense of our life. We want the control, right? This is the garden. This is the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It's, I want to have the God life without God. I want to have the good life without the wisdom required to get there. So we fundamentally think that we can do it on our own. And human beings are so eager for the control of their life that they would rather take the broken byproducts of them controlling their life mm -hmm. rather than saying, I don't know. When, I, when I'm left to my own devices, this is, this is Augustine, right? In his confessions, this is what he says. I, I'm a slave. I'm, I'm in bondage to my own desires. I don't know how to get out. This is why I use the language of addiction because that's the 12 steps. It's, you know, I, I, that's how I think of the Beatitudes. It's until we come to the point to say, I don't know how to get myself out of this hole. I do what I don't want to do. And I, when the things that I want to do, I don't do, right? That's Paul in Romans six and seven are, he's saying there's something, even in the best of us, there's something that, that is so steered wrong and, 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 and wants the control of a life, even if it produces unhealth, yeah. that we are afraid to not control it. And so I think there's an identity piece there that we've forgotten who we are, that we, we are the beloved. We are the image of God. We bear the image. We can be bad images, right? This is the crazy thing. And, and we, can be we can obscure the image. We need to mirror back to the world what we see God. That's what we are in N.T. Wright's beautiful metaphor. Yeah. But we become obscure. So we become this resonant chamber where we, we don't even know how to begin the process. And so we crave, I think the hurry is I have to, we're prone personality to different things, but I have to receive my identity by what it produce or receive my identity by what people think of me. Um, or I just can avoid it altogether and avoid the pain of what it means to be who I am. Um, and hurry means we don't have to do that. It's, it's caffeine on the brain that we're not actually getting more energy. It just tells us we're not tired even though we're getting more and more exhausted. It's, it's, the, um, it's the, the pill that just suppresses the pain, but doesn't actually take away the ailment. Yeah. And hurry is a way of doing that. We are distracting ourselves at such a rapid pace. We don't have to feel what we actually feel. This is why, I mean, this is why the attention economy is what it is, because they know that people don't want to deal with their stuff. So they can every, I mean, every time, let me just pick up my phone. Let me just pick up my phone. Let me just pick up my phone. And, and it becomes this dopamine hit every single time. And it feels good. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we lose the capacity. So that was a roundabout way of answering. I tend to do that. Um, but I do think the problem is at the heart is that we we're desperate to be loved and we think we're unlovable. Um, we're desperate to, produce because we think that's what success and what a good life is and we've we've lost a lot of models for what a resonant good life is yeah. and we need to slow down to be reminded and pass through the discomfort of limitation to go mm -hmm. oh um i can't do all things and be all things to all people but yeah. if i can slow down enough i can know the right things to do 
and let that come out of the core of who I am and actually discover who I am and not be enslaved um, in bondage the ways of Pharaoh but the ways of Yahweh which might mean receiving what I can every day in the desert and that will be more than enough kind of bring this conversation into um kind of the day-to-day yeah kind of the practicalities of like what does this actually what we're talking about what does this what has this looked like for you can you talk just a little bit around the the journey that you've been on in practicing unhurrying your life is is there some stories you can tell or is there a journey i think like a lot of people um the biggest shift was when I began the Sabbath regularly. Um, and that can look different for other people. I had, um, I had one child at the time, my daughter, who was almost eight. We started kind of early on in her life. We just realized I, I, I'm prone as anyone is, but I'm prone probably even more to be a workaholic. Yeah. Um, to say yes, because no feels somehow intrusive. It feels uh, unloving and really no and limitation is the best thing. And also affected my marriage. It affected my ability to be present with her, with my daughter and my wife. And I found um, it was like a Hail Mary. I just needed to do something, you know, and I came back to the things I'd read for years in school and and my mentors. And I started Sabbathing. And what that did was um, I don't necessarily say that's where everyone starts. I needed to because I was so addicted. I was so unable to shut my phone off from emails and be responsive. I was so convinced that things couldn't go well if I wasn't around or answering questions, Yeah, um, which is pride. I mean, it really is. A, it's a curse of pride or it's the, the, the cost of pride is to think that you are the only one who can do it. And you just have to let that side of yourself die yeah. and you realize abundance will follow. And so we started doing that. And then what I found was I longed and craved for it. So what was difficult at first, sorry, I, I paused. Yeah. Um, what was difficult at first became the thing that I craved more than anything. I craved shutting my phone off and not watching TV or being on my computer, not doing anything, but having a more time in nature. And, and I found that Initially, I was very rigid about that. And then I was able to put more, more as, my, as my soul and my inner world slowed down and I began to notice, then I found that I didn't need to be as strict with what I restricted myself. Because as I had more freedom, real freedom, you know, like the positive freedom, that the, the way of choosing the right thing, then it was easy. Um, but also for me, I realized I needed to create regular moments of my day where I was not doing anything. So I was just regularly carving out five and 10 minute intervals where mm-hmm. I would just sit, take deep breaths. I would, typically I would ask a few questions. I'm very, I'm tuned to not notice my own experience. So I would ask myself every day, I usually at three intervals, how am I feeling? What am I noticing? Yeah. What do I need or want? 
Yeah. And where has God been present that I've missed? And so it's kind of like mini examines, if you've done the prayer of examine, um, where I began to, in real time, in three, every three, two or three hours, we just carve out 10 minutes in my calendar, put it in my calendar, and tell my office, hey, this is that time, please don't interrupt. Yeah. And what that did was that actually I got better. At first I needed like boundaries. I needed the door closed. And then I was like, oh, I can do this while driving. Oh, I can do this while I'm on a walk. And what I realized was I, I began to have eyes to notice um, the beauty. And I'm, I think beauty is absolutely essential to this. We can make this functional, right? Workplaces now have meditation rooms and completely detached to Jesus, completely detached to the way of life. Mm-hmm. But I, there's an ordering to the way we're created to be. Sabbath is a part of that rhythm. Good sleep is a part of that rhythm. Yeah. Good exercise and diet. Those are all things that if we're not abiding by those things. <laughs> hey, dude. Hello, everybody. Are right, you going to take that with you? <laughs> if you're not abiding by those natural boundaries, our souls, it's like going against the grain of what we're created to be. And you need to just realign. Okay, so good night's sleep. Yeah. Shut off your phone. Create uninterrupted moments. Yeah. So I just started doing little by little. And, and honestly, you start little. Maybe it's maybe you're on your devices 12 hours a day. We'll shoot for 10. It's very practical. Like, okay, maybe you can't Sabbath. Maybe for you, the idea of a Sabbath is exhausting. Just do four hours on a Saturday, mm-hmm. right? And then make it fun. I, I'm someone who loves being with people. So I, we started doing what we call three meal days where we would try to spend three meals with a couple or a person so that you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can't help, but in those long days together, find an abundance of space. The conversations you have after four hours are deep and they're rich and maybe you don't talk very much and maybe you just realize and you slow down, you start noticing those small things. I had to be outside. I, if I don't take regular walks or I'm not connected to just what's around me, um, I will naturally zoom in on a device or on a task or on work. And so I do a lot of meetings walking if I can. Um, and I, I think poetry and whatever you connect with an art, I think this is what the, the arts, a good poet does is they show you that, you know, Rilke is the best at this. He, he will give you an image, you know, I mean, one of his great, I think it's a, he t- tells a poem of a panther at a zoo and he just gives you this second of life uh, of observing this and he pulls it apart to shows you the sacred eternity in a moment of observation and when you what and for some people that's music for some people that's visual arts for me i love words and i love poetry and when i'm reading a poet when i'm reading gerard manley hopkins when i'm writing poetry there's something about it actually forces you to slow down to a pace that I begin to see it. I know that sounds really mystical and maybe this isn't as practical, but I can tell the health of my soul by how often I'm engaging in beauty and reading things like poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's the Psalms um, and you're not a poetry, but you'll read the Psalms. Start with the Psalms. They're amazing poetry. 
And you see like this moment of, of a day feels pulled apart and you realize there's an eternity in here if I actually learn to slow down and pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Or I can let years flash by me and it'll feel like unobserved, unnoticed and unexperienced. Yeah. And, and that's what I, what I typically say the spiritual disciplines are. They're about learning to um, do two things. They're about learning to, um, to, to shorten the distance between experience and understanding. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to learn to notice, to be fully present. And you know this, like when you're fully present with something, it can just, you're just enveloped in it. When your full attention isn't distracted. Um, yeah. And then it's about learning to do the right thing, learning to have, when you have an impulse, to respond the right way to that impulse. And that's kind of the two halves of formation as I think of it. So for me, it started with those little things, five minutes of, of being intentionally. Then I started looking at my week and being intentional about how I scheduled it, not just saying yes, because someone asked me, but actually praying, Lord, should I say yes to this? Or if, you know, sometimes we aren't able to say yes or no, but we get to put the boundaries around what time we'll spend to it. And yeah. so you give yourself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that for an hour. Yeah. And that's it you know yeah have you found that um there's been challenge or opposition at all to has this ever come at a cost this way of life yeah i mean it it costs it'll cost you friendship Mm. you'll have to say no to some relationships Mm. you'll have to say no to some good opportunities Mm. this is where um this is that that stendhal ross quote that um you know it's 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 not the privilege of leisure is not the privilege of those who have time it's it's the the virtue of those who give each instant of life the time it deserves it's you will have to create a value of where you spend your time so you can't do all the things so i don't watch all the shows that my friends in our culture watch to keep up with them i don't i don't do all the great conferences And I don't do all the fun parties, right? I have to make decisions about what it means. Because if I'm going to say that I'm giving my time in a way that's thoughtful, discerning, and prayerful, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to try to every day give each thing that I'm asked to do today the right amount of time. Yeah. That means I have to do less. And that's hard for me. I'm not saying I'm a pro at this. But I mean, I have not taken jobs because of this. I have... Um, not gotten invitations because of this. My network of close friends has shrunk. They've deepened and they've been enriched, but they've been shrunk. And so there's times when I'm like, oh man, like, like on my birthday this year, I remember I had this moment where I was like, this is a, I, my birthday was a month ago, where like my closest friends were gone uh, for, for my birthday. And usually my birthday's not a big deal, but it was this moment of like, oh, like, like in years past, I would have just like reached out to someone else, yeah. you know, and I had this moment where it's like, well, no, like those are the people that I would want to be with. So I'm just going to hang out with my family. You know, it was just a moment of like, yeah, you may not have as many network connections. And I have a lot of, you know, friends all over. It's not like I don't, but <laughs> you realize it will, it will shrink all of those things. And, um, and that costs for sure. Mm-hmm. Also costs people's opinion of you. When you say, I'm not going to respond to your email 
I only, you know, I only respond to emails on Mondays and Wednesdays, then from Wednesday until next Monday, people are going to have a lot of bad ideas of how, what you do for a living and do you even work? And, and you just have to give up the reputation that I'm only as good as what I produce or what I can provide to you. Yeah. And I remember that was actually the hardest thing for me. I, I kind of loved being the responsive one, the one who could always say yes, the one who was always there when you needed me. Yeah. And um, that's still hard for me. Yeah. And I think you have to give up a sense of your reputation. Can I trust that God will protect my reputation? <laughs> or if not, can it go on the cross and die? You're great. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Because yeah. that, that pushes against our culture deeply. Yeah. It offends people, I suppose, who are still in that state of hurry and, and control and desperately trying to prove themselves. There's something offensive about an unhurried life, isn't there? To people who oh. are... There's something... I think, that, I think that's a book title right there, Anna. Yeah. Because there's something beautiful about it, but it kind of offends our culture, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean... When we're faced with the opportunity culturally, you know, it's 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 the great delayed gratification that all of, we hope all of our children learn um, <laughs> that you can have two hours of sugary entertainment, a great new Netflix movie with the, what what's the new one right now? That's like in America, it's the top one. It's like Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, and The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. It's like, just throw three superstars in the movie. It's probably, you know, it's not very well written. It's just literally sugary entertainment. Mm. You can get that hit for two hours or you could read, you know, Dostoevsky and have your life radically transformed over a few weeks or months, right? It's like, yeah, that, that feels like more work. I'm gonna take the sugar. I'm all for movies and fun entertainment. And I think you need to have dessert as much as you have bread and water. Um, but I'm sorry, I just heard someone knock on my door and my, I hope my boy didn't answer one second. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm still on the call. Hi. Is it your wife back from her manicure? And my, my daughter back from her manicure. Yay! Um, so I do, I think there's, so it's like, I feel, um, I, I totally get it. I get why, you know, it's, it's a great ideal. It's why some people start and they never follow through. It's because it's just easier. It doesn't take as much work. Yeah. You don't have to think hard about your life. You don't have to deal with your pain, yeah. deal with the uncertainty, deal with limitation. Yeah. Um, but choosing, choosing a slightly more difficult way, yeah. you know, this like kind of refrain that we live in off, we try to live in is like, give up the the small, the small thing for the sake of the greater thing. Give up the good thing for the sake of the greater thing. I think part of spiritual formation is around that. Okay, like, <laughs> yes, this could be good, but is it what I'm called to? And is it truly great? Yeah. Is this helping me become a more loving, whole, soulful person that looks like Jesus, is filled with the fruit of the spirit? We're not prone to asking that. We're just like, is it good or bad? No, it's probably neither. We're just gonna, it's easier. Let's just do it. It's like, well, if I did that every day for the rest of my life, would that make me someone who is more loving? Yeah. You know? um, we don't have that 
we don't have that mindset very often. Yeah. I love the idea of um, looking at all of our decisions through the lens of does this make me a more loving person? Yeah. Loves God more. That is, that is a very helpful way to, because um, I feel like I live most of my life reactionary and not really thinking about why I'm saying yes or no to something. I'm just reacting. But to have that lens in all my decision-making of like, is this going to help me become the person that I'm meant to be? Is doing this thing, is attending this event going to help me to become the person that God's calling me to become or not? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, I think the calling is, you know, we don't, we think it's probably too spiritual to ask the question, you know, am, am I called to this thing? Like when I, I remember meeting, I remember meeting Mike, one of my mentors, and I remember him doing that at one point in time. Like in real time, I he was asked a question and he was like, hmm, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't think I'm I'm called to that. You know, and I was like, oh, that's what a what a what a cheesy Christian, you know, response. But it was like, no, no, there's someone who's so attuned, he's saying, Do do I have permission to say this? Do I have freedom to to say yes to this? Yeah. And very often. You know, once we've kind of come out of the early infantile state of, of obedience, um, we're all beginners, as Eugene Peterson says, but there's a moment where we hopefully will be trusted with deeper things in our own life and our own desires. And, and as we can be trusted with them, we can make those decisions and we just have to have a category for making them. Yeah. Why am I making this decision? Am I saying yes to this because I don't want to disappoint someone? Am yes. I saying yes to this because... You know, you got to have friends and it's the only way you have friends if you say yes to invitations. Am I saying yes to this because it's a good network event or because it'll prop up my ego because these people love me? Um, or am I saying yes to this because it feels like something that um, will be beneficial or fun or desire, you know, whatever the categories you're making decisions for, um, to be honest about that. sounds like um, part of what you're talking about which I'm finding really interesting is this idea of living within the acceptance of your limitations accepting that you're a limited individual who has limitations and learning to live within boundaries can you can you just expand a little bit about that what does that look like to to learn to live with limitations yeah we there's so much and I know I've ta- I talk a lot so I'm trying to I'm loving it <laughs> yeah I uh we live in a culture that just quickly we live in a culture that um unmoored from the reality that 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 God is the center of life we get to choose our own destination so we choose our philosophy our way of living choose our calling our career um and the you know, I, I often say the the greatest sin in our culture is to be inauthentic. Um, and it's really the only cultural sin at the moment is to, to not be you, as opposed to a reality of self that there's a lot of me that is not healthy and whole. And actually, the great gift of a virtuous life is constraining yourself to, you know, Willard's or um, I think it's Willard has this great image of 
of freedom at a piano is not like my five-year-old who can just sit at the keys and just do this. Freedom at a piano is someone who has limited themselves for years, subdued, subjected themselves to the tutelage of the piano so that when they sit at it, they play. That takes hard work. That takes a lot of constraints. That takes limitations. I will, you know, I, I need to know what scales I can do today in order to play this. And as that muscle and memory and virtuosity grows, then I can play at random. Mm -hmm. We think we start there where I just need to be free to play any decision, to play anything that I want. And then we get mad when it all falls apart. And constraints, uh, limitations is honoring what really is in us. There are some limitations as a follower of Jesus. There are some careers I will not and cannot do. There are some, you know, activities I won't do. There are some things I, I won't participate in because the limitations of it not being within the covenantal bounds of relationship with God, right? That's one. But there's also a whole lot of other limitations. I will never be a mother. Like, I can't give birth. That's a limitation. I won't play in the NBA. I'm, maybe I'm tall enough, but I'm not good enough. And I never will be. I'll tell you right now. I, that ship has sailed for me. And I can't jump high. Uh, so it's like honoring those limitations is actually the most loving thing we can do to tell people, you can have it all. You can do it all. Every child in the U.S. is told, you can grow up to be president. It's mm -hmm. like, no. You can't, you know, like there's some limitation of, of, and I understand why I understand the movement of self-esteem and I grew up, I'm a product of it. But I also think what it does is it actually produces a group of people who are so overwhelmed with their capacity to do that they don't do anything. Yeah. As opposed to like, there are some things I will never do. There's some things I can't do. Mm -hmm. There's some things I long to do and will limit myself so that I can actually do that. I can't be a virtuous person guitar player and singer and also you know the best triathlete in the world those things based on the time required will probably be mutually exclusive now maybe over the course of a life you could but that's a broad vision we don't really do that and so i think limitation is the most honoring way um to produce abundance in who we are and to let us actually experience the greatness you can't be great at everything but you can be great at a few things and by narrowing down onto those few things and then narrowing down on to actually what's your current reality you know like there's this whole series of reality tv when i was growing up that was like people who were trying out for american idol who were just atrocious and no one in their life told them you're a bad singer you're tone deaf if you're tone deaf i'm sorry you're not going to be the best singer in the world and no one should lie to you you know there's something about the current reality that just Limitation is the most honoring thing. There's limitations to what we can do physically, limitations to our souls, limitations to our calling, our personality, our capacity. And um, honoring my need for God by sleeping well and by slowing down, mm -hmm. honoring the natural rhythm of my body, the natural rhythm of the earth, the natural rhythm of creation. It actually gets us into a resonance with the rhythm of life that doesn't feel jarring. And it means we can choose the one or two things that we're meant to do, and that's it. And our culture has a hard time with that because you know it says 
you can do all things and be all things. And you can't. Only God is capable. Only God has an infinite will that could has the capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. We are our will, though is is most of our wills are meager, even if it's got the capacity to be infinite in God, as we're invited into, you know, the Trinity into life with Him. It's meager and it's weak, and I can only do so much. So I need to choose the right things. Um, yeah, you're right. That is just as you're speaking. I'm just thinking how, how freeing all of that is, and what a relief. Yeah, all that is that I don't have to be because I can't be yeah. all things. It just already I'm feeling the relief of you saying that. <laughs> it is a really freeing message, and like you say, a very countercultural message in a culture that says you can have it all and be it all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so sad because, you know, there's a, they talk a lot about like um, the way that anxiety gets provoked is our capacity to compare with people within our relative circle. And 50, 60 years ago, our relative circle was our neighbors, you know, it wasn't, but now we live constantly bombarded with, all the people who are doing all the things curated mm-hmm. on Instagram. So the models talking about models earlier. So now I like, if, if, you know, my wife's a mom with two kids, if she's not a mom with two kids and has a multi-million dollar business <laughs> and is a fitness model and is a fill in the blank, like there's a, and has her own, um, I don't know, like fashion company, like, just the capacity, there's always people doing all the things. And it's yeah. like, if you're not living up to all of those things in every single area, or yeah. like, I don't look like Chris Hemsworth when <laughs> I take my shirt off and also have a best-selling book and also, you know, fill in the blank. It's like the models say that we should be able to accomplish all the things and do all the things. And so it's the first step, is like going back to slowing down, the first step is just cut off the social media addiction trap and stop modeling your life because now it's no longer your neighbors that you compare yourself with. Yeah. But it's actually, it's Chris Hemsworth's physique and yeah. it's you know, the next best-selling book. It's Malcolm Gladwell's constant selling books. It's, um, you know, the travel blogger who is traveling every week of the year in some beautiful foreign destination. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's what life should be like. And you're like, gosh, I want all those things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's great. I, I think some people are called to those things, but. Yeah. Would you, for, for somebody listening to this conversation and thinking, I am so far off a whole day retreat. I am so far off sitting in silence for 35 minutes. Where would you suggest somebody starts with this stuff? Start with one minute. <laughs> I mean, it's really practical. I'm, I'm, I'm so, <laughs> My son, I, did you see him? He I saw like, him. <laughs> <laughs> you scared me, but oh, sorry. Uh, I saw I'm, the whole thing. I'm almost out. I'm almost out, dude. I promise. Uh, <laughs> start with a minute, and I mean, I mean that sounds silly, but start with what you can manage. This mm. is the. This is the. I mean, begin where you are. It's one of the most incredible gifts to be given is the most important place in your spiritual life is right where you are. Yeah. If I think I have to be a monastic, um, you know, living in some monastic community to experience God, yeah. I'm missing the point. The point is actually to cultivate an attention 
And if I can only be attentive for one minute, then set a timer for one minute. It's what we do with our kids. <laughs> a minute and, 30, and 90 seconds sometimes of listening. What did Jesus say to you? What did you hear that God speaking to you? you yeah. Know? And start there. Um, I, would, I would begin um, actually planning your days by creating so that you can create a little more margin. And then begin little rituals. Little rituals are the most important thing. And I, by that, I mean, you know, a night a week where you have an uninterrupted meal with friends. Put your phone away. Something I like, I actually talk with John Mark about a lot is like, I'm, I think just choosing, um, choosing to watch a movie and not have any other thing out in our contemporary culture. Yeah. actually <laughs> countercultural. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just thought. How many students? Yeah. yeah on your phone or, you know, uh, typing a paper. Like literally, I remember watching students at Vanguard when I was on staff. They'd be, they put Netflix on. I had, I had coworkers who would, who could just do mundane things and would put Netflix on. <laughs> I'm like, you're not watching. You're probably not doing the best work and you're probably not enjoying. Look at you. Your laugh is so funny. Okay, I'll be out in two minutes. Okay. Uh, um, so those are the, like, those little things I think are like, man, they are, they're really countercultural. Mm -hmm. um, put your phone away as often as you can. Have a day. To laugh like Jude. What? Have a day to laugh like Jude. Have a day where you can laugh like him. Um, <laughs> put your phone away. <laughs> you like um, me? I'm off, yeah. Um, and, uh, Sorry, now I'm getting distracted. <laughs> um, yeah, start where you're at. Like, don't think you need 35 minutes or a day retreat. If you can do five minutes of prayer in the morning to orient your day around slowing down, yeah. say no to more things. Learn to say no. Learn to confidently say no to things that you, A, don't want to do or that will just be, or you're not called to or that are... Even create, create enough space to have, you know, what the philosopher Hartman Rosa calls resonance space, or we might call mindfulness. Um, create spaces where you can, like, where does your soul come alive? Yeah. You know, in Nottingham, Sharp Hill. I, just on the outskirts of Nottingham, when we were there for our sabbatical, I walked, it's not like it's the most beautiful forest or wood in the world. It's just like, it was a center place for me. I would go there and my soul would come to rest. Mm -hmm. I, if you are, if you love music, find a ways to intentionally listen to music actively and presently, not while you're working, but just listen to it, right? Like just pick a novel, pick poetry, pick the arts, do something that you, you have to be fully present and not have a divided mind doing it. And you'll realize that that gives you way more abundance and way more freedom and enjoyment. And then it becomes easier because you actually begin to see the fruit of it. You're like, oh, remember how good that was? Well, I'm going to say no to that distraction. I'm going to say no to that extra thing. Um, and then just constantly be reminded by how, whatever means you need to be reminded that you are not defined 
by what you produce in the world. And be reminded of that in as many ways and as thousand ways as you possibly can. If you need people to do that, if you want, I felt my time away. I consistently heard just, he makes me lie down in green pastures because I won't do it by myself. He makes me do it. Yeah. And I had just had this epiphany reflecting on it this week. It's, it's, he makes me lie down in green pastures, not the greenest pastures, yeah. not greener pastures. Just take whatever's there. <laughs> Whatever space is green pastures and still waters, let that be the thing that you need to be um, refreshed. Yeah. Well, great conversation. Thank you so much, Brian. I feel like there was just loads in there that was pure gold and I could chat to you for like another three hours but you've got to go play with your family yes. <laughs> so thank you so much um this has just been really really a really really great conversation that has given me loads to go away in journal and process and yeah. have a great Thanksgiving thank you I appreciate the time and uh anytime you want to chat I I, I really loved our conversation and I apologize if it was if it stayed up here, partly haven't had this conversation in a while and I'm really grateful for it. It was really, really good. Thank you, Brian. And have a lovely really time with your family. Thanks for listening in. I hope you found that helpful and encouraging as we go on this journey together. If you want to keep up to date with what's going on, do follow us at The Apprentice Track, all one word on Instagram. See you next time.